Um, so I think people, people meaning organizations are woefully unprepared for when they say they want to be customer centric, they really need to understand what that means. You're listening to the Delighted Customers Podcast, empowering you to achieve sustainable growth by delighting your customers consistently. I'm your host, Mark Slayton, and this episode, I think you're going to love it. A conversation with a longtime friend and mentor, Diane Majors, CX thought leader, adjunct professor, speaker, CX leader, and former psychologist. Yes, that's right, psychologist. We discussed a number of interesting topics, including design thinking and why it's such a powerful tool in the journey to delight customers. Diane also reveals a story about a conversation that changed the trajectory of her career. I just know you're going to love this conversation, so let's jump in. I am so excited. Now, I have to, I have to give some full disclosure here. Diane and I worked together at uh, my last role as the head of client experience at Sandy Spring Bank. Diane helped me for over five years with strategy, with planning, with development, with executing our CX strategy and made a huge difference for for us. And that's why I'm so honored and privileged to have her on the show. Diane, welcome. Thank you, Mark. It is such a pleasure to be here. I am. I'm super excited for all the things that you are doing and um, bringing your wealth of knowledge to this profession as well. So thank you. All right. So let me ask you um, about your journey. Uh, I shared in the uh, in the bio that you did everything from um, a, you know an MS and and you were a psychologist, a clinical psychologist. Um, you you worked in a bit. AT and T, you you ended up at Cisco. You did you do teaching at SMU. We didn't even mention that. Um, you were the CEO of the Customer Experience Professionals Association. For, you did all these different things, but what drew you into the CX profession to begin with? <laughs> it's totally accidental and serendipitous. <laughs> and, and the reason I say that is because I. I took a break from uh, clinical psychology because I was my specialty was um, death and dying. People probably are going to see that doesn't really fit my personality if they know me, but um, it became a passion for me. But it's also a very difficult and heavy uh, topic to work with hospice volunteers and people who are at their end of life. Um, and so I was taking a break, and a friend of mine was starting the company, uh, a company in the basement of his house, and he asked me to come in and work with them for a while and kind of help out. And I just got the bug. And what I, what I, when I say that, what I mean is to me, it was all about, um, yes, I was impacting people's lives and psychology, but what I realized in, in business and in working within a company that you're impacting a lot of lives and you're able to help people with things they're struggling with or things that they need and their wants and needs and expectations. So, um, that CEO and then the next CEO that I went to, as I started to kind of figure out this was back in then it was, wasn't a thing, right? We were doing surveys by mail right, at that point, but the next CEO that I worked for, um, is really the one who kind of set me on this path because he believed for the company to grow that everything we did needed to be based off what customer needs were and how we needed to serve them efficiently, effectively, and, uh, and so he set me on a track of, you know, go figure out what they need and come back and build things for them and go do it again and keep that perpetual motion going. Well, we didn't know that's what customer experience really, really was. Um, and so I came by that uh, just organically. 
Um, it wasn't, hey, I'm searching it out to go find it. It kind of found me. Um, so when I moved to corporate, Cisco corporate, um, we went through an enterprise transformation uh, project. And that was really the kind of stepping stone to it was becoming a profession. It was about 20, 2010, I guess. Mm-hmm. And there was just a few of us who were practicing. There was a gal from Coke and there was uh, Lorraine Shoemaker from, um, and she was with Verizon at the time. And, and part of that was just trying to find people who knew this profession. And so the, the, then the trajectory from there is, um, you know, kind of going out on my own for a while. And then AT&T uh, found me and asked me to come and work in their business solution piece. So it all just kind of fell into place after that. So hmm. it wasn't purpose. It was totally by accident. And a good accident. Yes. Yes. I can't imagine doing anything else. And and that's what we hear from a lot of CX professionals is, you know, they they came here through all different paths, but they can't imagine doing anything else. Yeah, it it is. It is a very common statement that people make. Like I was born to do this. I hear that a lot. And, and I think that talks to, it talks to the profile of the people that do this work, that they're connectors, um, they're able to see the big picture, but they can drill down into those micro uh, chasms, you know, working to clean data, but yet they're thinking about this whole customer strategy. Um, so there definitely is a profile that way. And that the ability for to think about what we do and then going back to a job like just doing sales and marketing would be torture for me. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> you don't have that purview to be able to look across the organization and, and really make some, some dramatic changes in some instances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, in, in the process of making those changes, uh, the goal is to differentiate your brand, right, from your competitors and provide something different. Um, why do you believe that CX actually can be a brand differentiator? Products and services can be copied so quickly. And this day and age, um, you have an idea, you put something in the market and very quickly your competitors are right behind you. Tech allows us to do that. Um, a lot of companies, uh, didn't. we didn't have all this entrepreneurial spirit really um, until recently where platforms and tech allowed a lot of companies to do things in, at scale that they weren't able to do as entrepreneurial companies before. So we're finding that even the large companies are really struggling trying to compete against the, the startups and the innovators because they can, they can move more rapidly. So there's, there's absolutely a differentiation when you think about the only thing that's really left as a differentiation is the experience because mm-hmm. products and tech and all that, it just, it just perpetuates itself. And it's always this game of, you know, one-upsmanship and experience, I think, can make a difference. So, Diane, now we're going to ask you some questions about when, back when you were a practitioner in some of these places, as people listening today, there may be some practitioners or people who are business leaders who are wanting to drive an exceptional or outstanding customer experience in their organization. Um, so might be interested in the perspective of what it's like and in, in to, to walk in the shoes of a practitioner. So as you consider your career as a CX practitioner, what is your greatest success story? It was at uh, AT&T and I worked in the business side. So it was very complex. We had like 635 products. It was, it was uh, a lot going on. Uh, one of the things that we wanted to do is really enable the organization with new skills and new knowledge and kind of new ways of working. Uh, one of the things that we did is we started to, to create um, labs. Um, what that means is we had um, 
we created places for the product teams and really anybody who wanted to participate to come and learn about uh, design, uh, to learn about experience, and really do some hands-on exercises that had nothing to do with AT&T. One of the reasons that was a success was because we were trying to teach the skill um, rather than trying to apply the skill while people were thinking about the organization and the business, right? So it was kind of this learn, try, apply approach of talking about why things were important and how it was going to feed the organization and, and their growth and the company's growth um, to kind of apply it. Let's let's try this on something like going and renting a car, like just teaching the concept of how to approach and design and experience and understand and build empathy um, and then applying that then became so much easier because when we would, they'd say, wow, I could really use this technique to work on this product. We're having this problem and this could be a great tool for me to use there. It's like, great. So we ended up kind of building a toolkit more than anything, but that also included the competency and the knowledge. So we created more of a draw um, rather than trying to push this on people. It was come learn, come find ways of doing things differently um, that you can address. So those labs became the way that we really began to engage the organization. And we recognized about six months in that we, you know, be careful what you ask for, because <laughs> we had so many people coming to the labs that we actually had to stand up an, another team to, to kind of train the trainer, uh, which was great because it became very organic uh, for the organization and, and a huge draw for people wanting to learn a new uh, skill set that they didn't have before. And, uh, so that that's probably one of the bigger success stories um, from my time in in a business. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. So if I if I were an employee there, would I what would the registration process look like? Would would I have to raise my hand or was I called upon? Uh, we sought out a couple of teams that we knew were um, we call them early adopters. We had a, one very progressive. Uh, product manager, and he was all about this. He was so excited to talk to us, and so we went. We went to his team. They invited us to come, and he brought his whole team together. And we went through a whole couple of day workshop just just teaching the concepts. We didn't work on any project. We just taught the concepts. But everybody else who wanted to, and they heard about it, would come to us and just register. So we had standing days that the labs were going to be open. Um, people could come, drop in for lunch. We had lunch and learns. We had experience hacks. You know, you got a problem. You think it's a small problem. Come on in. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll tackle it. We'll pick a tool and we'll figure out how we can help you um, um, tackle that opportunity that you have. So um, it really became more of a service within the organization um, to learn. But eventually, as I said, it turned in more into just this way of working. We started to build playbooks and we trained other people to, to do that and, and take each other through it. So so what, what, what I'm hearing, and you tell me if I'm wrong, what I'm hearing is you're sort of building champions, ambassadors, if you will, for people who, in, in more of a distributed model, mm-hmm. where other people can carry the message, other people have skills in their toolkit to help make change. Everything doesn't have to be so telegraphed. No, not at all. It was it was very organic, and we called the program. Um, so that was the the lab, but the program wrapped around that was called CXL, um, 
we the way we promoted that was we're trying to help you excel in what you do and how you perform and and skills that you can take along with you in your career and that was a combination of um, there was also online learning there was hands-on lunch and learns they could come to um, so we were educating and we were enabling with the tools and then the um, uh, true engagement came with um, things like the ambassadors, where we had a, a true experienced leaders network, people who were just passionate about this and wanted to learn. Um, so they became our train the trainers, but they were also um, helping us to really keep our ear to the organization to say, well, what's next? You know, what's the lead? So they were pivotal in helping us to really figure out what we should do going forward and have a plan. Um, that's one of my lessons learned as a practitioner. I'll share in a little bit. <laughs> Yeah. Having yeah, a plan, well, having a plan and working the plan. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like what you're also describing is be, because they were sort of advocates for the, for the effort, uh, they, you created a, a clo closed feedback loop from you to them, from them, from the field, so to speak, yeah. back to you to help to know what, what's our priority, what you should be working on next. Yeah. Yeah. And which, even which of the tools are most impactful? Like some were great to use, but it was feedback like this really worked well for us. And then sharing those stories. So we'd go and interview those teams and they'd talk about how it made a difference to the product getting adopted or, you know, other benefits. So we used those success stories to share with the rest of the organization that this isn't just a soft and fuzzy thing. This actually helped get this product out the door quicker, fewer problems down, you know, when they launched, um, better adoption, um, the partners were involved, so they were selling it more. Um, so it had all these benefits that we made sure we highlighted to everyone. Nice. Well, nice. Well, now let me, let me flip that over and say, as, uh, as all practitioners, we learn from experience, we learn from challenges. Um, what were some of the potholes and landmines, some of the things that you struggle with, uh, maybe more than you thought? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I wish I would have learned more about change leadership early on. You know, you'd think as a psychologist, I would have that kind of figured out. No, right. it's human, human behavior when you're at work or individually, or even as a group. Um, I didn't learn enough about how to lead change. Um, so change management is a great technique and it's got tools and processes uh, which work, but being able to lead that change is really hard. Um, especially at, um, at this lesson learned at, at Cisco, Cisco Foods, by the way, and not the other Cisco, um, mm -hmm. was, you know, it's a very supply chain oriented business. So very logistics, tactical. And so going in and talking about emotion and trying to talk about the importance of the experience um, took a lot of time. And so one of the things that was a pothole for me was learning what people were after, what was important to them from their standpoint, and then being able to talk and translate that language. So being a bit of a chameleon in dealing with people and helping them understand the why that mattered to them, and then helping them understand what to do to move forward that was going to benefit them the most. Um, so that that was a skill that I I hadn't had. And anybody who knows me knows I'm a little headstrong. So you can imagine me going in and kind of running up the hill with the flag and nobody's following you, you're like, okay, okay, I got to find a different way to do this. So that was, that was a big lesson learned. Um, yeah. 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 I heard someone say, um, if you're, if you're leading uh, and nobody's following, you're just out taking a walk. Yes, that is exactly right. Making sure you turn around and are people there. And, and, and I think that's a, a, 
I want to share with the audience, there's a moment in time where um, you you should recognize and celebrate it where you're pushing the rock up the hill. Like it seems like, you know, every conversation you have, you're turning on light bulbs and it seems like things are never going to turn around. And I recall several times in my career where I felt that shift in whether it was somebody in a meeting asking, well, what would the customer think besides yeah. me? Um or that draw of people coming to us to learn more. We didn't have to push the idea of these labs, for example. Um, those moments where it it starts to shift um, need to be celebrated. So one of the potholes I was in, I just kept moving things forward. I didn't stop and really think about the change and think about where we were headed. And so I'll talk about that in just a little bit yeah. about that future. Yeah, that's that's such a great point. Is um, we're pushing that rock up the up the mountain and. Um, and every day. And when you have a moment like that, where somebody asks a question inside, you're, you're just jumping this little joy dance. Um, it's important to take some, a moment and celebrate that. Yes. Yes. You have to. And, and being able to link that to what you've done. I think sometimes we don't, we don't take enough credit. Most CX practitioners are very humble um, Mm -hmm. and they like to be in the background. They're not usually that you know, out in the middle, they're in the background kind of supporting people and being their angel on the shoulder and, and doing those pieces. So I think we we need to celebrate those internally and and share with share with the organization, but with ourselves that it's hard work. <laughs> you tell people what this job really is and they go, oh no way. No way could I do that. <laughs> Well, we we hope we hope we're being a source of comfort to those out there who are struggling. Yeah, um, we yeah. we so appreciate the work you're doing. And you said earlier about you know your switching careers making a difference in people's lives. I mean, as someone who was very directly on the front lines of helping people deal with death and dying, and then switching to this, and even you know putting that kind of language around it. That, yeah. and I believe it 100 is that you know how many times even a day do people interact with companies, organizations whatever, where their day could be influenced, the, the trajectory of their day could be influenced mm-hmm. one way or another. And, and we have the opportunity to really affect so many lives. Yes, I, I agree. We were just celebrating a um, uh, kind of a, uh, a friend to the CX community, uh, Chris Rios, yesterday in a podcast. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we talked about was just his impact in um, two people who were in a search for their careers and and the impact that he had on people's lives. And I think sometimes when we think about, yes, we have to deal with all those tactical things like how we answer the phone and putting in you know digital support and chat and AI and how intelligent it is. It, it's really a bigger picture. Like, I don't know how many of you, like you're having a great day and then you have one bad experience with the company and your entire mood shifts. Which, you know, has the butterfly effect um, to everybody around you. So it, sometimes I don't think we see the importance of what we do in, in people's lives, um, truly making a difference there. You're listening to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'm Mark Slayton, your host, and today we're with Diane Majors of Experience Catalyst. If you're just starting out on your CX journey or want to take it to the next level, or maybe you're struggling with executive support or the return on investment of CX, let's put our heads together and jointly define the problem that needs solving. I'd love to see if there's a way I can help. You can reach me at empoweredcx.com. Now back to the show. Um, Diane, now let's move into some practical tips 
um, some ideas that maybe that our practitioners and other people listening can use to help move the needle. So from the standpoint of design, I know you uh, you have a lot of experience around design thinking and human-centered design. For some of the audience who isn't quite as familiar, could you explain what is design in the CX space and why is it important? Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to. I think if you think about the way organizations typically work um, is they will, and this happens even when you have sometimes a, a CX practice, is the organization will find a problem and they assume uh, and intuitively think they know, well, this is the problem. This is what customers are saying. This is that problem. We'll just go fix it, right? So they're in this find and fix mode. Organizations that slow down and really begin to find the right problem to solve. Um, um, that's, and, and they sit with the, the, what the human is trying to do and what they're trying to accomplish and what they want that experience to be like and, and truly discovering um, what they what they want and need, um, and even unmet needs. That's what design is. Design is a human centered way to stop and think about. Well, if customers are wanting, tell us they want this, or they're struggling with this, then do we really understand their their world and what they want and what they might anticipate, and how can we innovate around that? And using design tools and techniques uh, and a process to think about, let's really find that right problem to solve. Let's be intentional and purposeful about how we want the experience to be. Um, let's try it out. Let's be iterative and, and, and agile in thinking through trying several things as we go and then landing on something and actually thinking about how do we design across channels, across um, different touch points. Um, all of those things come into play. Um, that really come in between finding the opportunity and going in and doing something about it. And so that human-centered approach, um, human-centered design, uh, really is where we find uh, that we can connect more, that we get better results from it, that we're really understanding not only the customer, but what experience we want to create, because we're really thinking about the future um, and planning what's going to happen rather than it kind of let's fix it. And then, oh, we kind of fixed it. Maybe we did or we didn't. So, so it's, it's intentional and purposeful as the, and human are kind of the three words that I use when I think about design. And, and I think about um, the human part of it, I immediately go to personas um, in starting. Explain, explain to those people who may not be as familiar, the use of a persona when it comes to design thinking and how it can apply. Yeah, I think it's a great way. Uh, we think a lot of times about segments. So segments and personas are different. Segments are kind of groups of people and they're typically demographically. So a segment of people might be, say, myself, um, myself as a, a little bit older uh, mom um, who's got you know parents and, and kids all at the same time, right? That my age group living in, in my area, for example. And my 20-year-old, 21-year-old daughter, right? We're, we're different segments because our demographics are different. Personas are really the way to bring that, um, that person to life. So uh, an example of that would be my interests and my daughters are, are very similar. Uh, my other daughter, our interests are not similar. Um, the way that I want to interact with a company is, is different than the way my 21-year-old wants to act. So those differences in the psychographics, we call it, our interests, our attitudes, our perceptions, are why personas are important. Because if you treat everybody as a segment, you're missing uh, part of that story. 
So personas are a way to bring the difference between me going buying a product from you and my 21-year-old daughter buying a product. It's thinking about you know who we are, but it's also what we want and how we prefer to interact with that company or brand. And so the personas are how we really bring those to life and say, you know, Elena is my daughter's name. Elena and people like her, these are the things they want. This is how they want to interact with you. These are the things that are important to them. These are the channels they use. This is how much time they spend on the phone. Those things are important when you're thinking about designing an experience versus designing it for me, which those things are completely different in most instances. Yeah. That's how personas come to life. Thank you for shedding light. I love the contrast between, you know, a persona and just a segment, right? A market segment. Um, you, I know, I know, because we work together. That literally, you have an image or a photograph of. It could be someone you don't know, right? Probably a stock photo of a, but it is a photo of a human being. And then you you put all the information you just shared about their demographic information, psychographic, their feelings, their thoughts. So you really force the the people thinking through how to best serve, like you use the word human, humanizing it, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's what design does. It's it continually comes back to, hey, as we as we think about you know doing mockups or wireframes. Let's say we're building a yeah. new app. We would take those wireframes and really think about, okay, we've created this. Is that really going to meet their needs? Well, they're not going to want to scroll, or they're not going to want to go into um, uh, a chat bot on their phone, but they certainly will text. Okay. That tells me that persona uh, wants to do that. So we continually bring that. How would the person react to it? You know, what would they say or do? Um, Gene Bliss always says, and Colin Shaw says this as well, like, uh, would you do that mm-hmm. to your mother? So it, it always keeps that whole um, thinking about how the human's going to interact with what you're designing that really makes design stand out. And uh, we talk about that. Would you do that to your mother? Because it makes you think about, well, if I was designing something and my mom was going to use it, would she be able to do what she wanted to do? And not from a demographic standpoint, um, but more from a just usability and watching. If you've ever watched your parents struggle with technology, it's a prime example. We're not, <laughs> we're not designing things uh, for them. And we need to understand um, how to do that for all different kinds of personas. Excellent. And I know, I know um, under the curtain, behind the curtain, there are a lot of different techniques um, associated with design thinking um, that, that you can mm-hmm. apply. But I think the important thing to note is you're starting with the human instead of starting with maybe the technology, for example, not to pick on our, our IT folks, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why I think a lot of digital transformations have struggled um, because you know, going digital is supposed to be using technology to create better value. And um, I think I think what we've seen with digital transformations that have not been successful is they didn't start with the experience. They started with we're going to automate something or turn this form into a you know manual form into a digital form, not really thinking through the why. And how that would be perceived and would everybody want to do it that way? And so thinking about creating experiences and designing them and then enabling with technology is where we see digital transformations really be successful. Yeah. So bringing more value instead of what I call pedaling faster in the wrong direction. Yes. 
Yes, that would be a great analogy. <laughs> okay. All right. So now we're going we're gonna to swing back a little bit to the personal side, if you don't mind. And sure. um, I'm going to ask uh, all my guests here, when they think about their own career, their own life, um, and, and the span of it, the range of it, um, there's so much to learn already from what you've shared, but was there a turning point in your life that changed the trajectory of how you approach your career? What was it and what was the outcome of it? <laughs> yes. Uh, I'll share a story about a, a large project I was working on in one company and we had a, a leader um, for that big project and it, it was, it was a lot. It was a lot of, a lot of work, a lot of 2 a.m. you know calls, you know 60-hour work weeks, and and I was responsible to help with all the things that touched the customer, which was pretty much everything eventually. But but one of the pieces of feedback as we were wrapping up the project and we were doing our retrospections and what went well and what didn't is he gave me feedback that really changed my that trajectory that you talked about. He said to me, he said, you know, I love how you get work done. Um, I love how you build the team and how you move people forward, but you don't stay in your lane. Um, you Everything becomes bigger and, and more. And so that, that kind of distracted the project a little bit from, yeah. from uh, moving forward. And, you know, at first I was kind of taken aback, like, um, you know, that, like that was wrong, that I was, I was trying to really make things connect, um, as is my nature. And it took me a couple hours to drive home. Actually, I had a, like an hour and a half drive home that night. By the time I got home, I was like, you know what? That tells me I'm in the wrong place hmm. uh, because um, that's not the purpose of you know what we do. Um, he didn't seem to understand that the ability to connect people and things and think about that entire journey and think about how all the pieces and parts we were building fit together and making sure they fit together right into a puzzle piece um, was really a strength of mine. And I realized I was in the wrong place, that I needed to be in a place where somebody would value uh, my ability to connect the dots. And uh, I gave notice and quit two weeks later. Wow. Wow. It had such a profound impact on I was not in the right place. Wow. It sounds like that because I think, you know, people can be self-critical when they get a comment like that. Oh my goodness. I'm in the wrong lane. You know, maybe I, next time I ought to think about that and I ought to stay in my own lane. Um, you know, what, what did, how did I, how did I mess up? And what you're saying is you're being authentic to yourself. I'm saying I, if you don't value, that's, that's my, one of my superpowers. I should have mentioned mm. that, right. I'm a connector. I'm the mortar between the bricks as I gave her me use that term before yeah. and to have somebody give me feedback that I can't do that, or that's not valuable to them. It's like, well, I'm in the wrong place. Then I need to go find somebody. And so the next, um, the very next week I was talking at a conference and I was talking about this ability to go across the journey and connect the dots and use that same analogy. And I got off the stage. It was a keynote at Allegiance. I don't know how, when this was 2012, I think. And I had a gal come up to me and she said, I loved what you had to say. I'd love to have more conversations. And I said, I got plenty of time. I just, just quit my job. <laughs> and uh, she said, Oh, can I hire you as a consultant? And because she said, I'm having trouble getting the silos working together. And I'd love to learn how you would approach that and, you know, where you struggled before, but also how you did that with the teams you were able to influence. And 
I said, well, okay, I hadn't even thought about doing that, but all right, let's, let's do it. And ended up, that's how I started Experience Catalyst. Um, we did that for a little while and then went to AT&T and then the CXPA uh, CEO, but I've always had the Experience Catalyst in the background. So that helped me to really say that message about the connectivity and working across the journey was, was important. I mean, it resonates with people. So it, what I'm hearing is when, when you're being true to yourself um, and, and not trying to conform to some other person's uh, box, so to speak, mm-hmm. then um, you'll find your tribe. Yes. Yes. You'll find somebody who wants to adopt that. Uh, it goes back to that change leadership I talked about at the beginning I think organizations really underestimate the amount of change that it really takes to do this and do it well. Um, it, it impacts every decision they make. It impacts how they work as teams. It impacts the, the competencies and capabilities the organization needs. Um, so I think people, people meaning organizations, are woefully unprepared for when they say they want to be customer-centric they really need to understand what that means. And you don't want to scare them. <laughs> like mm-hmm. at, at a, I went to a leadership uh, when we, I was working with Visalign and we, we spent almost an entire day with the leadership team talking about what this was going to look and feel like as we went over the two, a two-year plan. Um, there's going to be pushback. We're going to have a hard time getting people on board. We're going to you know, think about the scores and that'll start to take over when really we need to be thinking about the human. And we just laid it out. And that was super helpful to help them know how it was going to feel and what they needed to do differently as leaders. So that that type of preparing people for the amount of change it might be uh, that might be needed or definitely be needed was important. Well, just so many great nuggets of wisdom from you today, Diane. I'm just so grateful that you joined us today on the show and uh, so grateful to have you here. What um, if our listeners wanted to get a hold of you, what would be the best way? LinkedIn. Uh, go to LinkedIn, but uh, if you're listening to a podcast, uh, it's it's important to know that my last name is not spelled the way it sounds. It's M-A-G-E-R-S, uh, Diane, D-I-A-N-E, LinkedIn. I'm there. I'm happy to connect with anybody and talk through you know their, their challenges, their opportunities, and their, um, I call it floating in the pool moment, where they might be hearing things from their leadership and maybe need to take that step back and think about what they're doing and where they, where they fit. Love it. Love it. Floating in the pool moment. (laughs) Well, thanks so much for being on the show, Diane. Of course. My pleasure. Thanks, Mark. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Delighted Customers podcast. My special guest today was Diane Majors. Be sure to check out the show notes for any resources and links mentioned in the show. And you can find those on my website, empoweredcx.com. And if you're enjoying the podcast, would you share it and leave a review? It helps so much to get the word out. And remember, when we serve others well, we make a difference in the world.